Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revs have won two of the three games uh, that have been played since our last episode. one nothing loss to Toronto, a 2-1 win at NYCFC, and a 3-2 win at, quote-unquote, at Montreal. Uh, it's been a pretty successful week overall, and we have seen in that time span the highs and lows of Adam Buxa as the week started with him missing a penalty kick to TFC in that loss, but it came back with a goal and an assist in the 3-2 win over Montreal. My name is Greg Johnstone. Joining me today, a first-time guest. We're very excited to have him on. Uh, Chris Falukas from Revs Revolt is joining us. Chris, how's it going? Hey, Greg. Uh, it's going very well. Thank you so much for having me. And let's hop right into this. It's been a busy week, but we're going to kind of focus mostly on the Montreal game. And there was a lot to talk about. Uh, the most goals scored uh, in a Revs game this season. Chris, what was your key takeaway from this game? You know, I, I got to go with the low-hanging fruit. And uh, let's talk Adam Buxa. Uh, he's my guy. I've been backing him for quite some time now. And I think I might be his number one fan. What a game. What a shift he put in. Um, he showed so much, so much engine going forward, always pressing and getting his goal. Uh, he finally got that goal. Uh, the first goal that Mane scored, he kicked it over. I mean, he's showing the ability to see the better play instead of trying to take it, even though he's a struggling finisher at that point. Uh, before he had scored his goal in the game, he still saw the the opportunity and he, he passed it, made the better play. Um, so he's, he's showing some confidence. And this is what we all want. This is what you need from a DP striker. And we're, we finally got to see it. And if we could see this time and time again, I think that we're all in for a treat. Yeah, it was probably his best game uh, with the Revs so far. Uh, obviously, he had the goal and the assist. He made the team of the week, which I believe was the uh, first time he has done that. Overall on the night, uh, 20 for 25 passing. That's 80%, which is pretty good for a striker. 10 for 12 in the attacking third. Uh, he had that assist. He had two chances created overall, uh, both from open play, obviously. And another thing, too, he had, he had four ball recoveries. He was not dispossessed once on the night. Um, and another thing, too, I wanted to point out, he had 39 touches in the game. A lot of our criticism in the past has been that Adam Hooksa just is not involved. Um, he is not really you know, in the run of play, uh, he's having trouble fitting in. Uh, and this is a game that they played. I don't want to call it the B team because I don't want to be disrespectful, but they had eight switches in this game. No Gustavo Bo, no Carlos Heel. He is the only designated player in the lineup. Um, and he was struggling. Uh, and I think this was a bit of a statement game for him. He was five or six on aerial duels. Um, you know, just a lot of really, really positive things you can say about it. Um, and, and another thing too, and this might be a little bit of a controversial take, but Everyone's going to talk about the goal and the assist. I thought the goal and the assist were two of the less impressive things in the game. Um, obviously, the assist, I think he showed a lot of great awareness, um, and he, he did a great job uh, finding Mane on that one. But I think he made a, some really solid runs. I think he showed some quickness. Uh, he showed a lot of ability to counterattack and to keep uh, Montreal on their toes and really kind of take advantage of that defense. Overall, I, I think you know we're going to point to the goal um, and the assist, uh, but... I, I think he did really well on, in all aspects of this game. Uh, and I, I think he was probably the strongest player um, on the field. He was obviously the man of the match because uh, you get a goal and an assist, you know, you're man of the match. But um, there were a lot of players that, that put in a, a good game uh, against Montreal. Uh, but Buxa is, is kind of hard to top. He set the tempo for the whole entire game. And like you said, he made a lot of good runs. He made many runs that I had seen where the Revs player that had the ball didn't see him or didn't have the ability to make the type of pass that they needed to, to get to him. But if they had, I, you know, he was in behind and on that Mane goal too. The one thing I wanted to add was he actually showed pace. And that's the one thing that we haven't really seen from him all year. He looked like 
JFC's speed all year. And Wednesday night, you saw pace. And uh, that was a revelation, I, I would say, to see that. One thing I will say is that um, on the goal, um, you know, it wasn't the cleanest goal. Uh, he was in on frame and it was stopped once uh, by the by the Montreal uh, keeper, whose name is forgetting me because I think they're on their third uh, stringer, Pen- Pentimus, um, who was, yep. he was making his first start. So it, it was, uh, you know, not, not an easy first start for him. Uh, with I think he faced 22 shots from the revs. Uh, but, you know, Books's goal, he was in on goal. It, it was a little sloppy. He, he needed a rebound to finish it. It seems like there are times he still hesitates a little bit, uh, so I'm, I'm a little bit worried about that. But considering a week ago, you know, he skies the penalty kick, uh, you know, I, I think this, you know, a lot of people talk about confidence and a striker's confidence. Um, I, I think we're back on the right track. So, um, Chris, before we move on from Adam Buxa, I do have a quick question here, um, which is because because we are talking about the Montreal game, but I don't want to, you know, take away, you know, take away uh, our listeners from not getting the uh, Toronto FC experience, which I was pretty, pretty annoyed at Adam Buxa, uh, to be fair. And, and uh, you are an Adam Buxa stan, uh, so maybe uh, you're not going to, uh, he won't get as much wrath for that TFC game. But uh, on a scale of one to 10, where's your level of confidence with Adam Buxa? Because it hasn't been a very successful first year with, with him, with the Revs, which I, I think is fair to say. I, I mean, obviously you, you seem to be quote unquote all in, but where's your confidence level? Yeah, I'm 100% biased, and my confidence is still about a 4 out of 10. I, I have to be real about it, and I am. He's shown sparks of brilliance, but he hasn't shown it consistently, and that's what we're just waiting to see. Uh, it was really nice to see, like you said, on Wednesday, the Montreal game, he was the lone DP, and that's really when we needed him to come out more than any other time, and he, he came through, which was nice to see. But then, like you said, the TFC game, that was... Uh, it was a poor outing. So my my confidence overall, it's just I would say it's a four out of ten. I think it's only going to get better. Uh, Adam Buxa against TFC, he had four shots, only one was on target, fifty five percent passing. Uh, he did have forty one touches, uh, and he did have four aerials, one, but um, by far the lowest who scored rating uh, in that game with a five point five three, and that was highlighted uh, by the uh, PK goal that was missed. Um, you know, I'll just say because because if we had had an episode last week. It would have been a much, much more different uh, conversation about Adam Buxa and what to do with him. But it seems like we've reversed course and kind of done a 180, and he seems to be doing a whole lot better. When he stepped up to take that pen, all I did was put my head in my hands and say, why is Adam taking this? Why? Because I didn't think he was going to hit it. And then he skied it, and I, I saw that coming before it happened, and it really, really bummed me out. Well, and I don't know why Lee Wynn did not take that. I think he was 16 for 17 on PKs and he's now 17 for 18 on PKs. So the decision to take him off, or which, which if I remember correctly, the, the series of events and, and it was 10 days ago and my memory is terrible, but Lee Wynn, I believe drew the penalty and then was taken off right as Buxa was uh, stepping up for it. And the way Bruce Arena has kind of addressed it in, in press conferences, because he was obviously asked about it, he, he's kind of said, well, Lee Wynn wasn't on the field. And so I don't know if technically he was being subbed off or he couldn't have been used. I, I, I would have to talk about Jake about the protocols on, on substitutions, but um, Bruce Arena kind of said it, it was either Christian Pania or Adam Buxa to take the PK um, penalty kick and then the next game uh, Lee Wynn steps up and takes it and drills it and so I, I, I wonder if there was some miscommunication there uh, with the Revs and, and Lee Wynn coming off early or too soon or, or whatnot um, I'm not sure what exactly happened there but uh, yeah you're right Books has stepped up instead of Lee Wynn which automatically is a really ballsy call when Lee Wynn is 
very close to automatic from the PK spot. Um, and not only is it a miss, but it goes over the bar. He didn't even get it on frame. Um, just a really unfortunate set of events. And uh, I, I think the full wrath uh, from the Buxa haters uh, came out uh, that Wednesday night. So, Well, and for the record, I think that Pania would have skied it too, so. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll we'll talk about Christian Pena a little later on in this episode because we got some news on him too. But one more thing to note about Adam Buxa, just because we would have talked about it last week, uh, we're not talking about it right now. But uh, there were some people wondering what to do with Adam Buxa. Uh, what are the chances he stays with the Revs? I'm not sure if they can move on from him. Uh, he signed a uh, designated player contract in the off season. I saw reports from Europe that said it was a three year contract. Um, who knows, though? Uh, you can never tell with MLS contracts. I don't know if that's three guaranteed years or if there's there's option years. Uh, but they did spend a $4 million transfer fee on him. I guess if they wanted to move on from him and open up a DSP spot, a designated player spot for a new striker, they would probably have to sell him and open a European team uh, that was interested in him before will buy him uh, lower than that $4 million price tag. Um, they can buy him out. Uh, I think that is not going to happen just based on the $4 million fee they gave him last year. And if he has two-ish years left on his contract. The other thing they can do is that I know NYCFC, uh, I think they loaned out a, a designated player and they opened up a spot for the future. So I guess they could loan Adam Buxa. Again, I don't think that is happening. Um, one thing that is definitely not happening is they're, they're not going to use Tam uh, to bring him down to a Tam level player and remove the DP slot um, just because uh, you would have to take his salary and bring it down to half a million. Uh, and, and also the transfer fee is spread out um, throughout the guaranteed years of his contract. So $4 million spread out over, let's say, three years or even four years. That would mean that his cap hit is uh, $1 million in uh, the transfer fee plus his $1 million salary. So you would have to spend $1.5 million in allocation money, um, which is probably the majority of your allocation money. So I've seen some just suggestions that maybe you can convert him into a TAM player and bring in another designated player somewhere in the field. Um, I don't see that happening. I, I think they would have to move on from Buxa. And um, from what Bruce Arena has suggested, he, he believes Buxa is a work in progress uh, and they bought him for future value. So they want to develop him uh, as kind of an investment. So uh, my, my guess is you're going to be seeing Adam Buxa in 2021. I'm glad I'm giving this news uh, after a great Adam Buxa game and not a bad Adam Buxa game. But I did look into it last weekend and it's worth noting just for the people that after that uh, PK miss wondering what we can do with Adam Buxa, the answer is not, not a whole lot. We just got to hope he pans out. Um, I want to move to a different player that had a great game against uh, Montreal, and I don't think he's getting a whole lot of praise. I tried praising him on Twitter, and I, I, some people recognized it, but um, Matt Polster had a great game. Uh, since coming back from uh, his concussion injury, he drew his drew the uh, penalty against NYCFC, which was later the Lee Wynn uh, penalty kick goal. Um, and he also had two uh, really strong takeaways uh, in that Montreal game that led to uh, two goals. He, he has been a great addition to this team. I think he has earned his spot in the midfield. Uh, if you look at where the uh, central midfielders were at the beginning of the season, uh, you had Luis Caicedo, and then he was out because of injury. I mean, it was Scott Caldwell. It was Diego Fagundes. It was Kellen Rowe. Uh, it, it was a bit of a, a mix-up, and uh, Kellen, or Scott Caldwell can still you know be pretty effective uh, to hold possession and all that, but um, Matt Polster has really added an edge defensively to this team uh, and, and is really just a defensive force at winning balls and forcing turnovers. And I thought he was 
just at his peak in this Montreal game. And it doesn't come across in the stat sheet because he doesn't get credit for an assist. I, I can pull up his stats, but they're going to sound pretty normal. Uh, but overall, he's been a great addition to this team. And we could really go through the additions Bruce Arena made to this lineup. Uh, Matt Polster, uh, Kakuta Mane, who we'll talk about later. Lee Wynn. A great acquisition. Uh, and, and if you, you look at it, uh, he really didn't invest in anyone or use any assets except for the Matt Polster acquisition, which he used uh, 300000 in allocation money. Uh, but that that move, which I, I quote-unquote is the riskiest, uh, that is turning out to be great, and he's turning out to be a great addition to that uh, central midfield. And I, I think Matt Polster is going to be a key player coming down the stretch. Yeah, Greg, I 100% have to agree with that. Uh, and his performance, you know, coming back from that uh, nasty, nasty injury, uh, I can't remember, was it against D.C. that that happened? <laughs> D.C. He yeah. got knocked out, yeah. Um, my goodness, I was I, – I can't believe that he's already back after seeing that injury. But the difference in the team, just on those two or three games that we had without him, and now that he's back, it's it's like night and day in that – in front of the the defensive line. He's just such a presence, um, and he commands the midfield as well. And he sees passes from – way back in our own half that really advanced the attack as well. So he's so valuable in so many ways going forward as well as uh, being aggressive in the defense. Yeah, and if you look at those two balls he steals in the midfield, he reads those plays perfectly. Um, I mean, it, it it's... Amazing. And and it's crazy, too, to think that Rangers was using him as a right back and not as a defensive midfielder, because it just seems to kind of come natural. He has great instincts. Um, I, I mean, he is, a in my mind, he's a little bit of a yellow card risk, but he is a very solid, uh, I would say, enforcer that I think the Revs have been wanting. You're not going to get that out of um, Luis Caicedo, who I love, by the way, and Scott Caldwell, who I defend all the time. Uh, Matt Polster just kind of gives that a little bit more strength to win a ball and start the counterattack, which is what the Revs do the best. We we talked uh, against you know the Nashville game, the TFC game uh, a little bit there in the one nothing game. The Revs really struggle when they have possession and they're trying to get that breakthrough, trying to get the the ball into the box. Um, they're best at, at scoring goals when they're counterattacking, uh, when they're running across the field. Um, you know the Lee Win Teal Bunbury play and whatnot, and this Montreal game. Uh, we we've seen a lot of examples of really dangerous counterattacks of when you give the Revs some uh, space. They have the speed and they, they have the finishing ability to, to put some goals away and, and turn the game completely. So uh, I think Matt Polster kind of fits into that style uh, really, really well. Uh, he's really good at stealing the ball. He's He's got a great presence. And um, as I say, I, I, I'm really excited about him. I think this was, uh, you know, we talked about Adam Buxa. Maybe this was his best game. Uh, I think this might have been uh, Matt Polster's best game, too. Uh, one person I do want to talk about who had... Uh, a bit of a shaky appearance uh, in Montreal, and uh, this was his first appearance since the Nashville game on October 4th, but uh, Gustavo Bo uh, made an appearance. He has had a, a very mysterious injury. Uh, Bruce Arena has not given any details. Um, he, he's missed a few games. Uh, he's been uh, available on and off. He played 23 minutes in this game, was subbed on, and then subbed off in stoppage time. Didn't seem happy about coming off uh, in stoppage time. Bo said, uh, or sorry, Bruce Arena uh, said post-game that Bo looked a little bit tired uh, in the game Wednesday against Montreal, uh, and said they wanted to get him out there for 20 minutes. Uh, but as I say, Bruce Arena kind of conceded. It looked like he was struggling a little bit. Um, Bruce Arena said after the game, on uh, Wednesday if uh, Bo would be available for the game Monday against Philadelphia. Uh, he also did not mention Bo today at the, his uh, press conference. Chris, and, uh, what's your level of concern here on Gustavo Bo? He's obviously an important player to the Revs, uh, but 
He seems to have this bit of a nagging injury, which is Carlos Hillish, where we don't really know what's going on. It turned out to be a lot more severe than originally expected. What's your level of concern? And with the Revs' position in the standings, where they seem pretty solid right now to be in the playoffs, but uh, you know, not not competing for that top two spot, um, should they rest Gustavo Bo? Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head with the uh, Carlos Hillish injury because it, it feels exactly the same way where they're starting to bring him back and then like maybe it's not ready to come back yet and the, the difference here is that like you said it's like an undisclosed injury we don't really know what's going on with him the fact that he did get some minutes shows that it's probably nothing too serious or they were testing it out and seeing is this something that he can work through so my level of concern is actually pretty high he's gonna be such an important player once you come up against the higher quality teams when he came on against City, it was not a City's best team, to put it bluntly. And we were able to roll over them fairly easily, but uh, except for the defense. But we'll get into that later, I'm sure. But we're, we're going to really, really need his, his experience, his control of the attack, uh, those powerful free kicks that he takes. Teams, def- they prepare to defend against Gustavo Bo. And without having that on your team, you're really losing such a key element of your team, whether or not he performs well. The fact, just his presence on the pitch makes such an impact and opens up the field for other players as well. So it's it's a big, big deal, and I'm very concerned about it. Yeah, and he's one of the few players that can score from distance. I think Kellen Rowe gets, you know, some some marks for that too, but he's not on the field all times. Um, you know, just thinking off the top of my head is, I mean, I know a lot of player uh, fans are frustrated with Gustavo, but he's not having the same season that he had in 2019. But you think about, um, you know, the DC United goal, uh, game where he scores from, you know, I think it was like 25 yards out, you know, off of, uh, I think it was like a free kick and it was cleared and Gustavo Bo really just one touched it and fired it in. Um, I mean, those are goals that, you know, it, it's a low percentage shot, but, uh, you know, he hits them occasionally. Um, you know, you, you miss 100% of the, the shots you don't take and Gustavo Bo really subscribes to that theory. He is a weapon. Uh, he is someone that creates headaches for defenses and goalies. Um, looking at the schedule, the Revs have five games left after this podcast. Philadelphia, uh, Nashville, Red Bulls, DC United, and then Philadelphia again. Um, you know, it, it's we're going to have a lot of questions about resting players and, and kind of figuring out your starting 11 going into the playoffs because you know it's a balancing act where you want Gustavo Bo to be completely healthy, but you don't want him coming back um in a scenario where he hasn't played in three or four weeks and then he's got to play in a winner take all uh, uh first round playoff game so um I expect him to be out probably this Philadelphia game I wouldn't be shocked if we see him another 20 minutes um I, I think they're gonna kind of run him out there again Nashville I would hope to see him a little bit more um you know as I say maybe they're gonna limit his minutes a little bit uh and and the way the offense has been playing, uh, they've been doing well without him. So I, I think that, you know, these games aren't necessarily do or die. I, I think I want to see him kind of limited on a plan to kind of build up for the playoffs. Um, but just the fact that they are not disclosing what is wrong with him, uh, that is a real big concern. Um, and I'm getting major Carlos Heel vibes. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm not thrilled with it. Uh, and you can kind of see too, I mean, he came off, he looked a little angry, um, and I think some people thought he was mad at Bruce. I think he was mad because I, I'm, I'm, I'm. Well, what I'm speculating is I'm worried that he was mad because he didn't feel right. I will add that the one possible positive thing to take from this is that he's still posting on social media and he's still very positive on social media. And typically, if you're going through something that could be that serious, I don't think that you'd be so light 
on your social accounts. But I'm looking too deep into this probably. No, hey, you know what? I love that insight and that that's a glass half full uh, take and yes. I am here for it. So yes. thank you for that. Uh, we do have one more uh, designated player who is working his way back from injury. Carly's heel uh, appeared at uh, Foxborough uh, this past week. He obviously is returning back from his Achilles heel injury and surgery that he had earlier in the summer. He seems to be making a comeback for this season, or at least he's attempting to. He's right now training on his own. Uh, and then I think after two weeks of returning, he gets to train with the team again. Um, Bruce Arena has sounded hopeful in press conferences, uh, but he says that it's still too early to speculate. But from what it seems, they want him on the field. Uh, they want to push him uh, to get him on the field for the playoffs, and they seem very excited about having him on the field. And, you know, we talked about social... You, you mentioned Gustavo Bo's presence on social media. Uh, the Revs certainly are not downplaying that Carlos Hill is back. They certainly are, you know, really loving the fact that he is back. And that's hints to me that he's going to be back this season. You know, it doesn't make sense to bring back Carly's heel and post, hey, he's back. Look at him. Look, Carly's is back. Uh, and then announce a week later that you're going to rest him the rest of the season. Chris, uh, I'll go to you. What are your thoughts about playing him this season? What would you do? Uh, do you kind of play him for the playoff push and go all in? Or, you know, Achilles heel injuries, you know, they're no joke. Uh, it's a really big deal yep. for a soccer player. Do you rest him? Do you give him a few more months of rest uh, and start over with him in 2021? I don't play him really in the buildup for the playoffs. You know, if anything, I, I'll give him 20 minutes at the end of the last couple of games if he's ready for those. Um, you know, it looks like Philadelphia seems like the best chance, um, the last game that we have, for him to actually make an appearance. And I would like to see him off the bench maybe for 20 minutes at a time. Once we get into the playoffs, we'll see. It depends on how he's feeling, too. Um, I would like to say, yes, if he's feeling okay and he's ready to go and all the doctors say it's fine, put him in there. I, I've never had an Achilles injury, so I, I'm i just speaking totally from the outside here and from a fan's perspective saying I want to see him in there and this team really needs him. Without you know a playmaker of his ability, we can only go so far. Uh, Lee Wynn, like you said, was a great acquisition, but he's not Carlos Hill. Yeah, and just to kind of go off that, you know, we're not doctors, uh, but if he's cleared, if Bruce Arena wants him out there, if Carlos Hill wants him out there, I mean, I don't know what, what the argument is against it. I mean, it, I, I'm not just saying this from a fan's perspective of, you know, rah, 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 go for it. What I think about is, I think it was 2012, um, the Washington Nationals had the best record in the National League, uh, and they sat out Steven Strasburg because he went over his innings limit, and they got knocked out in the first round. You know, and, and yeah, like the Nationals won the World Series seven years later, but I'm not sure how many bites of the apple you get here if you're the Rebs. You know, Carly Seal right now is 27. Gustavo Bo is 30. Um, Adam Buxa is 24, but you're not going to bring in another designated player this offseason. Um, you're probably going to be able to bring in some TAM players, but... I'm not convinced that this team is going to be much stronger next year than it is th this year. Carlos Hill, 27. That's kind of the age that, you know, pl players don't get younger from that point on. So you are fighting for a top four spot. You're probably going to be the fifth or sixth seed in the East. But there's really no team in the East that scares me. I've said that in the past. TFC is a pretty strong team. I, I think I've uh, underrated TFC in the past, but... Philadelphia really doesn't scare me. I think we could beat Philadelphia in a one-game playoff. There, there really isn't anyone in the East that I don't think uh, we we can beat this team uh, with a Carlos Hill in our lineup. So from that standpoint, I, I think of it as, you know, I'm not saying they're MLS Cup favorites. 
but I think you have a pretty decent chance if you have a very healthy if you have a healthy Gustavo Bow and a healthy Carly's heel of of making a deep run in the in the playoffs. And I'm not sure what the playoff picture will look like next year. And we're not sure if Gustavo Bow is going to regress next year or if Carly's heel just naturally from age is going to regress next year and and having a year off from soccer basically. So in my mind, if you can get him on the field, you have to. And Chris, you, you mentioned, you know, getting him 20 minutes here or there. I mean, if I'm the Revs, I think he can join the team after the, I think the first game he can play back is the Red Bulls game. Then he's got DC United. I mean, by that time, you, you probably know where you are in the playoffs. These games probably aren't as important. And and the other thing too is you have Lee Wynn, who is, seems to be a 60 to 65 minute player. Yeah. Lee Wynn, 60 to 65 minutes. Carly's heel, 25 to 30 minutes. I mean, it fits. Even if you want to limit his minutes and, and, and don't want to push him 90 minutes, you can still put him on the bench, which have been expanded, and, and you can find a way to put him in the game. I've, I've seen some people say, just shut it down, rest him for next year. This isn't a 22-year-old or a 21-year-old. This isn't Brendan Aronson. Um, this isn't a wonder kid who you know, you're know you going to have for 10 years. Who, who knows what, what happens next year? Um, with the other teams and how stronger they get. I, I think the Revs have an opportunity here, and it, it might not be their best opportunity in this window, but it's a pretty big opportunity. And and I, I think that you need as many playmakers as you can get right now, and I don't see any reason to sit Carly Seal out. Yeah, I, 100%. You don't, you, don't, you don't sit him if you have the chance to, to go get a cup because, like you said, you don't get, you don't get a bite of this apple very often, and... The East is very weak. And sidebar, the only team that would scare me is Columbus in the East. Ooh. But other than that... I'm challenging that yeah. one, though. I think Montreal beat them a few weeks ago. and, and I, I, They have they have dropped a few a few soft games lately, but uh, that team still scares me. You got Zello Rayon, you got Eloy Room in net, and of course, Jossi Zardes. It, it's, a, it's a very dangerous team. You know, I was I was kind of concerned about Columbus a little bit too, and then someone pointed out they've played Cincinnati like seven times since the beginning yeah. of the season. So I was like, oh, that's probably done on, <laughs> you know. Hey, ready for some listener questions here, Chris? Yeah, let's jump into it. Okay, first uh, question. Uh, we actually got two questions here back to back. I'll take the first one. But John Pilkington says, uh, any word if Mene got hurt against Montreal? He, he left the game uh, in the first half. Uh, I, I do just want to kind of quickly address this because uh, uh, Bruce Arena said afterwards in his post-game press conference that um, uh, they planned on Mene to get 45 minutes in the game. He wasn't going to go all 90 minutes. Uh, Mene has also been nursing an injury, which has been undisclosed. Um, it hasn't gotten a lot of uh, notice because he's been mostly a bench player, but um, I, my interpretation is he's fine to go. He talked to the media today. Um, he, he doesn't seem uh, injured whatsoever, so he, he should be fine uh, for the next few games. Uh, Randy LH, though, says, should Manet start? And Christian Pena was getting some minutes. Uh, he's gone down. Manet, I, I think, obviously earned some minutes with his performance against Montreal. Chris, what are your thoughts about uh, Kakuta Manet and uh, if he should be a starter going forward, if he's healthy? Absolutely. If healthy, yeah. I hate to put any player out and I, I don't know who Christian Pena of course is the player that's not going to get the minutes and I would say Kakuta Mane after this past week's performance has really solidified himself ahead of Christian Pena on the depth chart and I mean anybody that watched that first half I, I don't know how you could be anything less than impressed with that performance we had only seen him one other time before and it was rather lackluster but this outing it was a whole different player 
he showed that pace that he has. Uh, we all know he is faster than anyone else. I still wish that he would have centered the ball to Buchs on that one play, but he knew it when when he didn't make that pass. Uh, he realized that he just should have made it. And he finished the pass that Buchs has sent over to him. Uh, he peppered that keeper. I can't remember his name either that you said. But he took some really aggressive shots from right at the top of the box and really showed some hunger to, to succeed. So, yeah, 100% Mane should start. And he, he gets credit for the goal, but as you said, there was that shot from outside the box where uh, he made that uh, generic keeper from Montreal whose name we don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he, he made the keeper work. He, he played less than 45 minutes. He had three shots on target, two big chances. Of course, there was that goal. Uh, he was 14 for 18 uh, passing, which is 78%. He was 8 for 11 on passes in the attacking third. Um, and, and as you said, showed off that pace. Uh, Sean actually told – we were texting during the game. He said uh, – he was impressed that Kakuta Mene uh, stayed on side uh, because you got to think about how much he's had to slow down to uh, stay in line with Adam Buxa uh, mm-hmm. on that two and uh, two on no chance. Yeah, I mean, I-, I thought it was a really strong half for Kakuta Mene. Obviously, uh, his injury is going to be a bit of a concern, uh, but he certainly will get some more minutes down the stretch. Um, I'm not sure if he is a starter because I. I- I still, I'm still high on the Tayon train. It's slowed down a little bit, uh, but Teal also has had some really, really good performances. So um, I imagine that Teal and Tayon will still get the nods as the starter. Uh, but I, I would imagine Kakuta Mene, if he's available for 30 or 45 minutes against Philadelphia on Monday, we're going to see him. Uh, it's certainly a much more rosier picture than uh, we had uh, previously in, in previous games where Kakuta Mene was uh, completely off the radar. So. Uh, Fire Fluid Motion on Discord asks us, do we have depth? Have we always had depth? What is the depth as it pertains to the revolution? So, and, and as we mentioned, eight subs uh, for the revs in uh, uh, against uh, the Montreal Impact. So, uh, Chris, uh, what are your thoughts on the depth of this team? Are you really confident with the depth the revs showed against Montreal? Or is this a weakened opponent and we're overhyping it? Uh, to the depth, yes and no. Was it a weakened opponent? Yes, it was. Uh, so let's... Where do you want to look for depth? Uh, you want to look at the back line? I don't think we have a single piece of depth there whatsoever. But you want to look in the midfield? Yeah, well, of course we have depth. We have, we'll have Carly's heel back, and then we'll have Lee Wynn as a depth piece. That's uh, Everything that he's shown us so far is pretty impressive to think that that would be more of a depth piece. Uh, Kellen Rowe or Scott Caldwell coming off the bench, either one of them. Diego Fagundes showed that he can control the 10 maybe once in a while. I, he had a really good performance anyway against City. And yeah, in the midfield, of course, we have we have quite a bit of depth there. Um, and then the attacking half as well, um, or the attacking third, rather. We were just saying, you know, should we don't know if Mane should start. I'm saying yes. You're saying Tejan. Either way, there's going to be some some sort of depth there. If Pania is healthy, he's a good depth piece as well. Yeah, so this team has depth. It's just a matter of of where you're looking goalkeeper depth as well i totally trust brad knight and not to make the spectacular saves but he's going to make the saves that he's supposed to make my my only concern with depth is i guess center back and right back yeah and and while we're talking about center back i I don't have any real disagreements so i'm going to move on to cameron's question here uh thoughts on defense particularly the fullbacks uh he says that he thought tony was not good uh, against montreal while mancian wasn't bad uh jones and bootner seemed to be electric most of the game um, and, and we can talk about Jones in a second uh, and, and Bootner in a second because I thought they both had pretty good games against Montreal. But really, I want to focus in on the center backs, which you, you highlighted a second ago. Um, this is a team that, or, or, or this is a pairing that coming into the season, I was, I don't want to say I was high on. I think I kind of defined it as, you know, they had four 
number two center backs between Kessler, Farrell, um, Tony, and Mansian. And I think right now we have a uh, number one center back in Henry Kessler. I'm fine calling Andrew Farrell a number two center back, although some people on Twitter are not happy with me uh, for, for suggesting that Andrew Farrell is a decent center back. I I'm perfect. I'm, I'm fine with him at center back, but some people aren't fine. I'm, I'm not going to argue at that point too, too much. He's, he's not Henry Kessler, or, um, you know, level of player. Um, I, I have no confidence in Tony De La Maya. I, I kind of stood by him a little bit during the MLS's back tournament with that missed pass. Um, but I go back to something Sean said, which is that, you know, if you're a good center back and, and you're pretty, you know, you, you have the skills and you're pretty solid, but you, you make one of these blunders, you know, if you make it enough, you're not a good center back. Um, and this, this, the play against Montreal where he, I mean, the guy just blows right by him and Mancian kind of comes in and some people gave Mancian crap, crap for leaving his man. But I think Mancian kind of has to cut down that angle. Um, I mean, that play is broken completely from Tony De La May. And I know a lot of people gave Andrew Farrell a lot of crap after the, uh, the TFC game, which he was responsible for where he kind of gets bulldozed over. But you know, I, I I think that is less of a mistake than t- what Tony De La Maya did the other day um, and, and letting a defender get in behind him and, and really make a weak effort to kind of recover. So um, I, I don't have a lot of faith in Tony De La Maya as a number two center back. I don't have a lot of faith in Michael Mancien at all. Poor guy. I, I, I just I still have no idea why they brought him back. Mm-hmm. Um, if if Farrell or uh, Kessler go down, uh, whew, it's, it's going to be a tough one to figure out. Um, who who to put in and, and how to make it work because I, I think that back line that starting back line really works on all levels and and the results have shown how uh, defensively tight they are. Um, but you know this Montreal team, which you know really is not a special team whatsoever. Um, they got two pretty two goals off of some pretty weak defense. Um, and the second goal I, I think was actually more Brandon Buys fault than anything else. Um, but uh, Tony De La Maya did not have a good game, and I, I feel like whenever he gets in the game, he you know he he makes a blunder, uh, and, and it's rough. So um, yeah, thoughts on the defense against Montreal? Um, really not great. Wasn't a huge fan. I, I thought Butner did a really good job of pushing off, uh, pushing up, and getting some crosses in. And I thought Dewan Jones had a decent game from the right side. He had a really nice cross into Buxa, which I think Buxa actually headed over the bar. Probably one of mm. Buxa's few mistakes. But um, I mean, if we're talking center backs. Whew, I'm not pleased with it. Oh, and also during that Montreal game as well. This is a point that I haven't seen anyone really bring up, but Michael Mancian was keeping the attack on side over and over and over again. I saw it four, maybe five different times where I specifically said to myself, what is Michael Mancian doing? Um, and he's just running so far behind. The line is five, ten yards ahead of him. And he's just he's tracking a runner trying to get to stay ahead of them instead of letting them run offside. So there was some lack of communication going on with that back line during that game as well. And I don't have a whole lot of good things to say. Um, my only thought is maybe maybe De La May is a bit rusty because we've seen him play fairly well in the past. I, I have I really liked Tony De La May after his first season here, and I really thought he was going to be a – maybe not a stud defensively, but I, I thought he was going to be a really solid starter for years to come. Um I mean, I, I am so – I've done a complete 180 on De La Maya, and, and I think it's just because we've seen him so little this year, and he keeps – I mean, he, he the, the back pass in the MLS's back tournament and then this play against um, Montreal, I mean, it, it's it's a bit rough, and it, it's tough to follow. But someone did make the point that if he was paired against Kessler, Kessler would be able to uh, recover a little bit better. 
uh, and, and kind of cover his, for his yeah. mistakes like he does with Andrew Farrell. But um, I, I think Andrew Farrell is a lot more consistent. And, you know, you can point to the uh, TFC game and the mistake he made there, but Andrew Farrell's played, you know, what, 20 games this year. Um, and, and I can think of more mistakes Tony's made than, than Andrew Farrell. So uh, we do have a question, and we, you talked about the right-back depth a second ago. Dewan Jones got, I think, his first start at right-back. Um, he's kind of moved all over the place. By, by Brandon By uh, did not start this game. It was the first game he did not start. Uh, but Dewan Jones had a pretty solid game. Uh, David Sibillian asked us, would you put Jones uh, or By uh, at right-back? Um, people know how I feel about Brandon By. I think he's pretty league average. Right-back, I think he's pretty solid defensively. I think he's pretty good in the air. I'm not going to repeat it over and over and over again. But Chris, uh, what are your thoughts if you had to go with Dewan Jones or Brandon By? Who are you taking? First of all, he's been part of that defensive line that has been so solid all year long. Uh, so I don't want to change anything about that if I don't have to. Um, Jones has shown a lot of explosiveness in the attack, but he's also shown a lack of composure in the attack. And when we're talking defensively, I trust By over Jones, even though By did have that, you know. It, that second goal against Montreal was probably a lot of Bai's fault. Um, he still was there trying to trying to stop the play. He tripped over his feet, fell down. I still I still would take Brandon Bai defensively uh, over Dewan Jones. Um, but I think Dewan Jones has such a bright future playing fullback. Hopefully for the Revolution, I think he just needs to refine refine his skills a bit more, um, both defensively and with uh, with offensive composure. Yeah, and I, I think, too, I mean, you could kind of go with a rotation where maybe you put Dewan Jones in against a weaker opponent like Montreal, because I think this was a good uh, opportunity, you know, opponent where you're in control of the game. Uh, you can use Dewan Jones' speed. Uh, you can kind of push him up. Um, you know, Brandon Bay does that as well. I think a lot of people get kind of uh, upset about his crossing ability, but um, Dewan Jones, I, I think, seems to be a little bit more confident as a crosser from the right side than from the left side. Um, a lot of the times, Dewan Jones on the left side, I think, just kind of runs up and doesn't really know what to do because he's not left-footed. Uh, he can cross a little bit better from that right side. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I think Dewan Jones is still learning the position and is still, um, you know, makes a few mistakes. He's able to recover with his pace uh, and his speed. So if someone gets in behind him, he's able to recover. But Brandon Bay is just, as you said, I, I don't know if you want to mess with a, a back line that has done a really, really solid job defensively. And Brendan Bay is among the league leaders uh, in aerials one. Um, he's really good in the air. I think a lot of people don't realize that. I didn't that. realize that. I don't have the stat. I, I don't have the stat in front of me, but the game notes, they always have like, you know, aerials one or chances created by defenders. And Brandon Bay is always on those lists. So next time I should, next time we get a Brandon Bay question, I got to, I got to come up, <laughs> I got to throw it up there because we always get Brandon Bay questions. But um, he, he does a lot of things that people don't realize. And, and as you said, I, I don't know if you want to mess with that back line too, too much for a weaker defensive player coming down the yeah. home stretch. Revolution Report asks us, are you concerned about the two goals conceded versus Montreal and the late goal against NYCFC? Um, I'll, uh, Chris, let me take this one real quick because I think this is a, a pretty quick one. No, not really. Uh, the NYCFC goal was, I mean, it was a really nice header off of the post, which was unfortunate, but I don't think that was really because of a lack of uh, defensive, uh, you know, uh, effort or uh, error. I think it was just a lucky goal for NYCFC or a good goal, uh, depending on, on how intentional it was. Um, in terms of the two goals against Montreal, um, I, I think the first one is, you know, on De La Mea, he's not going to be in the game uh, all the time. Certainly it's concerning for the depth there. It's certainly concerning if De La Mea was a starter who, who was being run out there uh, each game. Um, second goal, actually, Brandon Bay kind of falls over on that play. Um, it was a bit of a weak goal, but 
uh, you know, I think it was just kind of at the point in the game. Mancian had a cramp a minute ago or, or something like that. Um, it, he refused to come off the off the pitch at that point, didn't he? I didn't. I didn't know what was going on. It looked like they were subbing him off, and the commentators didn't mention. I had the Montreal commentary, and they said he was coming off, and then he didn't come off, and then Bo came off. They showed the boards. So oh, did, and Mancian's number was up there, and he didn't come off. Yeah, Mancian's number was in red, and um, uh, Interferro's number was up in green. Ah, jeez. So I don't know. I don't know what it was a Kepa situation. Yeah, very weird. Very, very weird. But um, regardless, I'm not putting too much weight on that. Uh, I think this was a uh, not your your number one back line. I'm overall not sweating these two goals. I think this is still a very solid defensive uh, back line, and I'm not gonna you know stay up worried about uh, conceding two goals from our our B center back pairing. Um, I don't know if you had anything to add on that one, but. Nope, you hit all my points. <laughs> uh, TSB11 on Discord asks us, is Gustavo Bo the problem? I know he is injured, but I'm not sure where he fits uh, with how the team has been finding its recent success. And that kind of goes back to a question where we kind of said, you know, Gustavo Bo, team is doing kind of well right now. Um, he, he has been taking a lot of shots, but he's not been having the same success as he did in 2019. I think a lot of people are kind of frustrated with his style of play because he's not the best in possession. He's not the best passer. And he's not scoring goals from, uh, you know, shooting the ball from Walpole. So I think a lot of people are, are a little bit frustrated with him. Um, I'm not sure if I define him as the problem. We kind of hit on Gustavo Bo a little bit earlier, but Chris, uh, do you have any response to this? What a question. <laughs> Is Gustavo Bo the No, he's not the problem. Um, I mean, it's. I, I love entertaining the idea that this could be it. In my opinion, not at all. Um, Gustavo Bo has been asked to do a lot of things this year and a lot of things that he has not necessarily done in the past. Uh, I don't ever remember seeing at least highlights i didn't watch i've never watched the mexican league i've never seen him playing in a number 10 role or a playmaking role he's a he's a finisher and that's where he needs to be and we've lacked having a playmaker on this team almost all year so he's been asked to do a lot of things that he hasn't normally done in the past and uh no i, I don't think Gustavo Bo is a problem i do think his injury is a problem but no uh and I, i'm not sure there is a problem yeah, I, I'm looking at his um, stats right here. He has only he only has five goals this season in 16 appearances. I think it's 13 starts. I'm doing the math off the top of my head um, right here. He did go a while without scoring, but um, he, he did have a goal uh, against the Impact on uh, September 23rd, and he had another goal against DC United. He's still a weapon. Um, I don't know if I define him as the problem. I do think there is some weight to this question about how he fits because it seems like they're not sure where to play him uh, with Carles Heel out. They moved him from the 10 to kind of the striker, but then you bench Buxa. Um, so it is kind of interesting of where he fits exactly in this 4-2-3-1 uh, that you're playing. He's really best as a second striker, um, but, you know, it, it's it's... Uh, it, there's a little bit of weight to this question of how exactly he fits in um, with this offense. Um, I don't necessarily think he's the problem or a problem. And if it's a problem, I, I think it's a good problem to have. It's, it's you know, they're having success and they have this weapon that they can use off of the bench. So um, I, I think if he's fully healthy, he's still a guy that can score a big goal from out of nowhere. And, uh, you know, that that's going to be helpful in the playoffs because the Revs are going to have a lot of grinded out one nothing. 2-1 results. I mean, we've had it all season. So having a guy that can score from outside the box, that's positive. That's a positive, especially with a team that, that doesn't know what to do when they're in possession, um, that has trouble uh, creating chances, uh, that has a striker that, you know, is 
confidence has been up and down and, and you know, has, has been having a lot of problem bagging goals. So I, I think Gustavo Bo is needed somewhere um, where he fits in. That's a, that's a Bruce Arena problem, and I, I kind of get that sent- sentiment. Hopefully we get what the offense was supposed to look like all season with Bo and Heel coming back uh, in, in the final few minutes. And, and I, I think really where he fits is a second striker role. I, I just I don't know if they can create that for him right now with only five guess- games uh, left in the regular season. Uh, Dave Aikman asks us, do you think the Brendan Aronson deal uh, will impact the union uh, coming up on Monday? Um, Brendan Aronson moving to Red Bull Salzburg. Uh, I think it was somewhere between six to nine million uh, based on incentives. It's a pretty huge transfer fee. I don't think this is going to be a big impact for the game. Philadelphia knows Aronson's been moving all offseason. Um, I, I don't really know if that's going to change the equation of how they approach this game or if it impacts the locker room at all just because they all they all known this uh, and i'm sure there's not going to be any bitterness about brandon aronson moving so um at the very least it's not going to be a negative it might motivate the union because they know that this is their one season of brandon aronson um but i for the most part i uh, unless they're going to rest him and play limited minutes because they want to uh, make sure he's not damaged goods when he goes over to Europe. Um, I, I don't see this impacting the next game or the game in two weeks against Philadelphia at all. Uh, we did have one more note here before we wrap up. Christian Pena, you mentioned him a couple times. Uh, uh, Bruce Arena has stated that he does need surgery on his foot. He has a fifth metatarsal injury. Uh, which is kind of like the bone along the outside of the foot. I did WebMD it. I am not a doctor, so I'm learning this just like you guys are. From what I've seen, it is a six-week recovery period for you know normal people. <laughs> like if you or I got a, a surgery for this, it's about a six-week recovery. I imagine soccer players take longer than that. Um, I would imagine you're not going to see Christian Pena again uh, for the Revs this season. If I am a gambling man, and if you are giving me odds on Christian Pena not wearing a Revs jersey again, I'm going to take that bet. Uh, you know, he's had half a million dollars. He uses an international spot. And there's been a lot of frustrations with Christian Pena this year. And Bruce Arena has stated those where, you know, he's, he's just not producing goals and assists. So uh, if, if I were a gambling man, I'm not sure we see Christian Pena in a Revs uniform again, which is very disappointing because... Player of the Year uh, uh, on the Revs uh, 2018, I think. It was his first season. Showed a lot of flash when he came over here. Um, you know, Still had a pretty productive season in 2019. Still put up more goals and assists than I think most fans realize. Uh, but obviously he had some lapses. Did not give the uh, best effort over 90 minutes a lot of the time. Um, so if this is the end of the Christian Pena uh, Revs experience, uh, I'm... I'm kind of bummed about it and it seems like a lot of wasted potential because he looked like a real stud uh, at the beginning of the brad friedel era can we play hypothetical and say what's going to happen with christian pinia especially if he has years left on his contract does he stay in mls uh my guess would be no and actually if you give me a second i can tell you whether or not he had a guaranteed contract or if he had an option picked up last year i mean my guess is that he's at a half a million dollar uh figure um, I mean, that, it's tough to move a guy with a half a million dollar figure who, who's on the bench. I mean, maybe they could work out a trade with someone. I mean, there's they're growing. To, you know, there are so many teams. Uh, and, and I mean, maybe you leave him open for an expansion draft spot. Um, but I'm not totally sure if how many people are biting. Maybe. I mean, there are some teams that probably have seen his potential, but um, he did have an option picked up in 2019. So that would uh, imply to me that he has an option for next season. And I mean, that's a really tough call if you're if you're going to pick him up again. Um, the one thing going for him, I would say, is that I think there are some players that I do not expect to be back next year. Uh, one of them being Michael Mancien, another one being 
Oh, actually, Tony De La Maya doesn't use an international spot. Never mind. I take that back. I think I've said that two or three times in the past few podcasts. That's not true. But um, Michael Mancien is going to be uh, not good. He's probably gone. So that's going to be an international spot um, opened up. Hmm, let's see here. Luis Caicedo is coming back. So he has a spot. So I think right now doing the math in my head. Uh, Zahibo is gone. Uh, so they probably got that international slot back though. So yeah, yeah. They'll have a full eight international spots for 2020. Anyway, um, they should have some international spots opened up. So maybe they're able to keep Christian Pena as a luxury. Uh, maybe they don't need, uh, you know, they're, they're not tight for, for international spots at all. Um, but still it's a, it's a half a million dollars is no joke. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not totally sure if they want to keep him and what his trade market would be. Um, and you know, I, I, am sure he has a pretty solid reputation, uh, elsewhere in South America and Central America. So I'm sure someone will be willing to take him. Uh, I'm just not sure if it's in MLS, uh, before we wrap up, Chris, uh, any final thoughts before we leave here today? I think that we should just be, uh, pretty optimistic about this season. And, uh, it's pretty amazing to think where we are in the standings right now, especially with how much struggles it has felt like we've had. Um, but if you take a step back and look at it, this team's actually been performing very well. And uh, it's been way too many years since we've been able to be this excited about a Revs team. And I think it's, a, you know, only up from here. Yeah, I mean, even last year we made the playoffs, but it was a seven seed. I don't think we, I think a lot of people weren't really thrilled about going up uh, up against Atlanta. Uh, it, it was a really uphill climb. And even if you got past Atlanta, it'd be, it'd be a tough ask. Um, and then going back to their last playoff appearance was against DC United. You can kind of tell that team was petering out. Jermaine Jones seemed a little bit out the door. So this was really the first time since 2014 uh, that I've felt pretty confident in this team. Uh, and, and it's kind of weird saying that as a five seed, but uh, a lot of positive things going for the Revs right now. And I think things can only get more and more positive um, with Gustavo Bo and uh, Carly Seal coming back, potentially knock on wood. Uh, <laughs> hopefully there's uh, no issues there. Chris, where can people find you on Twitter? That's right. Yeah. So you find me on Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter. Uh, my personal account is at Chris Volukas. That's K-R-I-S Volukas, V-A-L-U-K-I-S. And uh, you can also find me talking Revs all the time on at Revs Revolt. And Revs Revolt is also the YouTube channel that I am running. I am consistently inconsistent with weekly videos, so you can depend on not having one every week. And yeah, find me over there on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Revs Revolt. And I also record all my Revs Revolt videos on Twitch twitch.tv forward slash revolt they're spontaneous decisions to record them so there is no set schedule but you can find me there anyway give me a follow and uh, maybe you'll catch me someday consistently inconsistent just like when we record this podcast exactly we you can follow us on twitter at revolution recap you can also follow our revolution recap facebook page please leave a, a please and rate and review us on itunes or wherever you are listening uh and you know what? I'm going to kind of bribe our listeners uh, right now. I think on iTunes we are at 43 reviews. 43 reviews. So when we get to 50, we're going to put in a bonus episode. Uh, and let's just say this bonus episode makes a little bit more sense uh, in the near term than in the far term. So uh, sooner rather than later would be great if we could get to Leave that. those reviews. Yeah, well, let's get those review guys. It's been a while since we've had one. Five stars, please. You know, just, you know, give us a little tip. You know, that's all we're asking for. We will be back next week. We are not going to do a podcast following the 
Philadelphia game. Oh, boy, I'm all over the place. The Revs play in Philadelphia Monday. Uh, no, they play at home against Philadelphia. I'm sorry. Monday at 7.30. They also play in Nashville for the first time ever. Next Friday at 8.30. We will probably be back with another weird, awkward uh, weekend podcast next week. So you can expect a podcast Sunday or Monday morning. Uh, until then, thank you everyone for listening and go Revs.